want to hear from you right now. Text us at 918-262-5072. All right, welcome back. It's 2 o'clock here on the Blitz 1170. What's going on on this Tuesday? My name is Jeremy Poplin. That is Matt Hubbard. Let's hit up that Oklahoma Ford Dealers hotline real quick, I guess, before I do that. Uh, tonight, we do have the Jinx Coaches Show tonight that airs at 6. Directly after the Jinx Coaches Show, we have our debut of Split Decision. It's our MMA show with uh, one Colby Daniels. That will air between 6.30 and 7 o'clock tonight. All right, now let's hit up that Oklahoma Ford Dealers hotline and a welcome in a uh, gentleman in uh, Jed Drenning, who's the uh, sideline reporter there for West Virginia uh, here on the Blitz 1170 to get set for the matchup with Oklahoma coming up on Saturday. Jed, thank you so much for joining us today, man. How are you? Oh, not too bad. How are you guys doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. Doing all right today. Um, I've got to ask you right off the bat, what a freaking journey that this has been for West Virginia football this year. Um, where, yeah. where do you even begin? Because I, I struggled with this of like a starting point with you with this interview. So I'll just ask, like, how, how do you even sum up what you've seen so far? Uh, it's been a, a disjointed ride, you know, um, a frustrating loss against a better rival to start the season. Uh, and then we came home and kind of got ambushed by a Kansas team that, that was a lot better than some might have thought. Uh, had our opportunities Thought we should have won that game. Um, you know, went on the road, won a rivalry game against Virginia Tech in a tough environment on a Thursday night, took their best shot. This is a Virginia Tech team that since then the schedule's had an opportunity to lean on them, and, and I'm not sure they're playing their best football at this point, but at that time they were 2-1 and one and they were jazzed up about playing us and getting the Black Diamond Trophy back. And We played well in that game, and since then it's been hit or miss. You know, we've we've had some – some uh, major struggles on the road uh, for reasons that are difficult difficult to articulate, really. We, you know, we can't entirely figure that out between getting ambushed in the first half at DKR by, by Texas uh, to uh, going to Lubbock and, and laying a dud there against a, a Texas Tech team that was coming off a bye week and was very sore and hungry after two straight losses and had a point to prove on their homecoming weekend. Boy, did they. Uh, and, and, you know, in, in the middle of all that, we, we found a way at, uh, at Mountaineer Field to knock off a very good Baylor team. Yeah. Um, so, meanwhile, we're, we're still uh, trying to reorient ourselves after that trip to, uh, to Ames, Iowa this past weekend. Um, another situation where you faced a, a very hungry Iowa State team. I mean, you know, guys, it's, you know, I, I felt this going into last week. We were playing an Iowa State team that had, the, at the time, the seventh-ranked defense in the country, the nation's leading receiver, and they were 0-5 in league play. I mean, you guys saw it there last week. Would you have 58,000 there? Yeah. Went for an 0-4 team in league play, we had 56,000. They rocked that building. It's, there's no empty chairs in this league, right? I mean, now that, now that Iowa State and Kansas have righted the ship, uh, there really are no empty chairs. So uh, you, you better show up, and you better show up in spades. And, and if you don't play clean, efficient football for the balance of 60 minutes, it's going to catch up to you. And we battled to a 10-7 game into the early fourth quarter, and then a roughing the kicker penalty kind of opened the floodgates. And, 
look like if it didn't break the back, the spirit of our defense, it certainly broke their back. Four plays later was the Hutchinson touchdown, and they never looked back after that. So that's kind of where we're at with this. Very up and down, trying to figure some of it out. You know, we, as most teams are at this juncture in November, been very dinged up uh, at a lot of critical spots, but that's the case with everybody, right? I think it's, it's some, we, we just made this point in the previous segment. I feel like I've heard this more this year, Jed, than than any year before, and it's with almost every team. We're we're seeing it here in this day with with Gundy and with Brent Venables. It's talking about a level of consistency. And that can mean a number of things, right? Uh, most people think about just operating like in a rhythm or consistently offensively, but it's everything. It's little things within the program that you have to do consistent, and I think that that's like one of the glaring issues that I've seen from a distance with West Virginia so far. That's exactly right. There has to be that mainstay of consistency. And and really, if, if whatever shortcomings you have, this league will lay all those shortcomings bare for the whole world to see. If you <laughs> yes, it show will. Up yes, it will. Best effort for, I mean, I'll look at the two examples, okay? The two examples I look at are all, all the respect that I have for those two programs in the center state, you guys, and, uh, and Gundy's Cowboys. I mean – Look what happened to you guys. I'm preaching to the choir against Texas. Now, I do believe we'll get into this, but you're a different species with Dylan Gabriel behind center. That's a whole different animal. But I'm not so sure it should have looked like that, yeah. even without Dylan Gabriel, right? And the same thing, the one that really opened my eyes was Oklahoma State trip to Manhattan. I was like, wow, wow. I mean, that, that really opened my eyes to the point that, look, you can't just – you know, show up and play football. You got to show up and play meaningful, consistent, solid, efficient football, or they're gonna they're gonna zing you. I mean, you know, back in the Big East, what happened was we we'd play a handful of really good teams each year, and that was good football. It, it produced a lot of NFL talent. Uh, there were teams winning BCS bowls across that league. There were some good football teams and programs in that Big East, but there were also some breathers, right? I mean, there were a handful of times a year that you had kind of a get-right game between playing a top-five Louisville or a top-ten South Florida. That, that's how the schedule's set up, right? And uh, maybe if you show up against a struggling Utah team and for the first 30 minutes you didn't play well, okay, uh, a situation you might find yourself is and you're on the short end of a 13-10 game at halftime. But in this league, they leave you behind. It's over at halftime. I mean, it'll be 35-7 to before you blink, Right. So you can't afford to do that, and that's kind of what happened to us, you know, in Lubbock, especially once that second half got started. But uh, that's the fundamental difference that I see. And uh, you better bring it, and you better bring it every week, and it takes a lot of alphas to do that. I was uh, listening to you just a little bit uh, on a podcast, and <laughs> you were trying to find uh, a few positives from this past weekend. So uh, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll start with that. and. I'm like you. I went back and I watched the first couple of moments of of that game, and the running game looked a little bit like you. It almost gave you hope, like all right, it looks like this, and then it kind of fell off of a cliff after that. And I know that that's been a a topic of discussion about uh, just running back position and running game in general. Uh, but again, I think that gets back to a level of consistency with everyone offensively, and you can't just be hyper focused on just that position. That, that's exactly right. Uh, you're going to have some depth issues and. And, uh, like, a couple things factored into that, okay? Now, all situations obviously aren't created equally. We know that. But the last time we went into Ames, Iowa, into Jack Trice Stadium, that in that rough a shape from a depth standpoint, that banged up in our running back room was 2016. It was late in the year, second to last game of the regular season, I believe. 
And we had to pull the red shirt off a kid by the name of Martel Petaway because we were so thin at running back. And we leaned on that kid for 30 carries for 181 yards, pulling the red shirt off him. Um, so, again, that's not to say that we were expecting that kind of production to reproduce itself all over again, but we were down to our number three in Justin Johnson. Uh, you know, our, our, our freshman wonder, C.J. Donaldson's loss for the year. Uh, our, our starter, Tony Mathis, was out. Uh, he suffered an injury against Texas Tech and has been out for a couple weeks. So we were down to our number three, and we were incredibly thin. We had a backup left guard. Our right guard had just returned to starting duty. So you kind of hoped, hey, maybe if we stick with it, we're patient enough. I mean, that's the trick against these Haycock defenses is you got you got to be happy with twos and threes to start the game, right, to turn them into threes and fours over the course of the game. And early on, it was going all right, up to the point, and, and this is probably a stretch to say early on. I mean, like one possession into a couple snaps of the next possession. So I'm being generous by saying early <laughs> on, right? Yeah. Uh, we had a third and two conversion. And we were running the ball somewhat effectively up to that point. A holding call brought that back, and then it was kind of game, set, match for that running game. We, we found ourselves, for a host of reasons, off schedule. Even in a 10-7 game, that sounds strange to say that, but we found ourselves behind the sticks. We ended up 2-12 on third down. That wasn't an accident. And we prided ourselves as that being one of our offensive strengths going into that game. But you guys know as well as anybody how effective and efficient and well-coached that Iowa State defense is in terms of frustrating you and filling the appropriate zone spots and whatnot on third down. And we just found ourselves in position, especially when you only run 49 snaps as an offense. We had seven, three and outs or eight. So when that's the case, you're not even giving yourself a chance to find rhythm. You're not on the field long enough to even search out the answers. So that happened early, and it just continued, and it was a funk that we could not get out of. So, yeah, for a series or a couple snaps into the second series, we were somewhat effective running the football, and you thought, okay, maybe that's going to set the tone for what this is going to be, but that was very short-lived. And I feel like, um, Jed, that you look at where, where they're at defensively right now, and 12 possessions in the Iowa State game, and you have that many three outs and 12 possessions. You, you can understand why their backs are uh, against the wall on this, but am I wrong in saying that the offensive woes, I mean, yes, that's easy to, to, to point at there, but defensively, they're at least kind of giving themselves a chance with, with what we've seen, especially with some of the scores, like at halftime, for instance. You know, you've been in the, the Baylor game speaks yeah. for itself. Yes, it was rough early against Tech, but they kind of settled in there towards the end of the first half. TCU was a seven-point game, and then the 10-7 to score at halftime against Iowa State. How far off am I on they, or am I on they uh, getting better defensively? Well, you're, you're not that far off. Here's what I'd say. We're not defensively what we were at our best the last couple of years. Two years ago, we became the first Big 12 defense since Kansas State in 1999 to lead the nation in pass defense. Uh, we've tackled pretty efficiently for the last three years. Uh, we've never really let a lot of things get out of control. This year has been much more of a roller coaster ride. But you're right. If you look at certain extended periods of each game, we kind of had our moments, but they didn't sync up when the offense was having its moments. Like, you mentioned Texas Tech. Uh, now, it's strange to look at a 40-10 to 10 loss and say, hey, the defense was kind of giving you a chance. Well, let's start with this. In the first half, we faced 53 snaps, Oof. and it was 73. <laughs> and we turned the ball over the red zone to end the half. It, it could have been a 17-10 to 10 game. That's, that's the defense, just as you said, keeping them, grabbing them by the collar and saying, hey, you're not getting away quite yet. Stay here. 
And then in the second half, they just leaned on us to the point that it finally broke. Uh, against Iowa State, it very much had the sense over the course of those first three quarters, look, offensively, if you don't do something and find a pulse, I mean, at least impact field position, even if you're not going to score, at least get a couple first downs and punt. We couldn't even do that. And you just very much felt like, look, if you don't do that at some point soon, this dam's about to break. And what ended up happening was we pinned them on the six with a great punt. So here they come out to the 25 or so when they're, when they're forced to punt. This is early in the fourth quarter in a 10-7 game. They're forced to punt. We roughed the punter. It wasn't a running into. It was a roughing. We had a running into earlier in the game, caught a break on that. That was fourth and six. But this was a roughing the kicker, extends their drive. And, again, what happened was two plays later, after really not running the football all day outside of a 27-yard play on a reverse, which, in which they used our over-pursuit against us early in the game, they had run the ball effectively all day. Well, two plays after that block punt, 36-yard run from scrimmage. We miss a run fit, okay? Two plays after the 36-yard run, 24-yard touchdown pass. So it was a four-play drive that went about 65 yards after the block punt, and I, I think that was just too heavy a load to bear is what happened. And then the next thing you know, they got two more touchdowns stacked on top of it. But we haven't been able to do that either for the course of 60 minutes or long enough for one part of the team, one unit, to catch up with the other unit. I mean, you, you thought you might have found a path in the Baylor game. You're like, all right, if we're going to struggle defensively, we've got a lot of new faces on the back end. We've been very prone and susceptible to the big play, okay, uh, unlike maybe previous years. So if that's what we're going to be defensively, fair enough. But we're going to start forcing some turnovers. Okay, you've got to pitch in by forcing some turnovers. And against Baylor, what happened was, yeah, we gave up a lot of big plays. Yeah, chunk plays. Yeah, a lot of yards. Yeah, a lot of points. Okay, we won the game 43-40. to 40. But the defense forced three turnovers, scored on one of those turnovers themselves on a fumble return for a touchdown. And then the special teams pitched down with a block PAT and a two-point return. So you're like, okay, if that's what we're going to be, there's the path to success. You can get gashed sometimes. You can give up a big play sometimes. As long as you're going to steal a couple key possessions with turnovers and maybe even scores at the table to score yourself, we can live with that. But that hasn't always been there. That turnover well very quickly dried up. And so either they're stopping people and not forcing turnovers or not always stopping people. We just can't sing up, sync up with the defense playing their best football the same time the offense is playing theirs. And offensively, we're a much different team. And, again, I can't figure this out. On the road versus at home. At home, when you look at scoring and total offense, I think we rank number nine in the country in both in games played at home. Now, if you want to look at those same numbers on the road, ugh, not at all the same. I mean, I think we're in the 80s maybe in both those categories, so I can't figure that part out. That is uh, wild indeed. Uh, final question for Jed Drinning as he's joining us here on the Blitz 1170 uh, via the Oklahoma Four Dealers hotline is uh, mental state. Uh, it has been a rough year for everyone, but coming back home, as you mentioned, completely different team, it seems, at home. Um, wh- where would you kind of judge where everyone is at mentally right now getting set for this Oklahoma team to visit Saturday? Well, there's a lot of frustration. I mean, anytime you go on a skid like this, there's going to be. But what you got to do is find a way to productively channel that frustration uh, into something more effective. And, again, we played pretty well on the offensive side of the football every time out. Let's start with that at Mountaineer Field this year. That has to continue, okay? Uh, we, we can't worry about what Oklahoma is or isn't. Oklahoma, you, you slap that logo on their helmet, 
the type of kids they populate that locker room, that program with, they're always going to be dangerous. Nobody knows it better than a program that's never beat them as a member of the Big 12, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to have to bring it offensively. We're going to have to score offensively. And on the defensive side, we're going to have to find a way to be disruptive. I think this is going to be one of those things that from a situational standpoint, one of the areas that both defenses have struggled is when the field shrinks in the red zone. From a touchdown production standpoint, I think we rank number nine in the league. We've spent the better part of the season all the way toward the bottom in terms of allowing touchdowns in the red zone and not holding things to field goals. You guys rank down there as well. So this could be very critical in terms of which offense fares better against which defense in terms of translating red zone trips into sixes instead of threes. It could be that type of game. And then defensively, if you can find a way to steal a couple turnovers, steal a couple possessions, that would obviously be critical as well. But you're going to have to dot your I's and cross your T's because if you want to find a a way to upset an Oklahoma team, that's always going to be the case. You've got to play a high brand of football, and you better show up for the balance of 60 minutes, and you better be consistent. Jed, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. It will definitely be interesting on Saturday to see how this uh, ends up playing out. Wish you uh, the best of luck for the rest of the season, man. And, again, thank you so much for your time. Same to you guys. We'll right. see you. Appreciate, Appreciate you. It. That is uh, Jed Drennick joining us here on the Blitz 1170 via the Oklahoma Ford Dealers Hotline, sideline reporter for West Virginia. Um, my goodness. I, You need to go back, not on the, se- not on the last question that I asked, but the penultimate question <laughs> that I asked Matt and put a timer on his answer because I feel like that most of Jed's frustrations about the entire season poured out into that one answer. I need a length of time on it. I love it. Almost like we did with the 41-second disclaimer that was on the gambling commercial that we had. I love it. I Yeah, I need a timer because I, I feel like I need the voice guy to be like, and here's five minutes of frustrated West Virginia football fan. Boom. And hit play. Boy, that was a lot. That was a lot. And I don't, I, I wasn't going to ask him because <laughs> I hate when someone asks me questions about what about the future of this program? Like, I, one, really, you're going to ask me that, right? I, I have to be careful of what I say sometimes. So I would never ask him about future of the program, but I don't think I had to. I think we got a pretty good idea of exactly how that's going to end up going. I would be shocked right now if they don't finish the season, and by they I mean West Virginia, if they don't finish the season with an interim head coach. Shocked. Honestly, the way he feels about the program right now, let him run it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know about that. That might be like a Jeff Saturday situation. He walks in, this is what you guys are all doing wrong. (laughs) That, 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 Neil, get out. I'm going to give you uh, a stat, okay? Okay. (laughs) Remember, JT Daniels is a five-star quarterback, okay? So, if I were to tell you that (laughs) JT Daniels is averaging six and a half yards per attempt... He is at a 61% completion rate. He only has three passing plays over 40 yards this season. Three. 
Three, that's it. Three. 13 touchdowns and eight interceptions on top of being sacked 14 times. Would you believe me? Because that's exactly what has happened so far in throwing for over 2,000 yards. I feel so bad for him. (laughs) He doesn't deserve this. Poor guy having a pass from his back the entire game. Three passing plays over 40 yards. And might I remind you that at his peak, Will Greer from West Virginia was averaging a 50-yard pass play per game at his peak. And JT Daniels only has three over 40. That's because JT doesn't have time with protection, unfortunately, for him. Now, as he said, much different team at home compared to on the road. True. But I like Oklahoma's chances this weekend (laughs) to get bowl eligible. I feel a lot better about it now. And Bedlam might be a little bit more fun. (laughs) Man, man, man. Oof. Yeah. All right. Uh, Matt, we'll take a timeout. Okay. Uh, When we come back here on the Blitz, uh, we're going to talk Memphis at 2.30. But it's over. It's all over, buddy. We'll tell you what exactly that is and why we have to pour out a 40 for one of the great American traditions, at least this version of it. That's next year on the Blitz 1170.